Just a quick warning that this week's episode does include topics such as sexual assault. Please listen at your own discretion. You're listening to Keeping It Trill with Amanda Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Trill. I'm Amanda, and this week my guest, um, very special guest, is Jamie Cybris. And um, this is going to be my first episode where I think I need to put a content warning before because it might be triggering for some people. But I'm really excited to be doing some more serious topics. And Jamie and I actually found each other on Twitter. And if you want to give a little bit of an introduction of what you do, Jamie, I think that would be helpful for the listeners. Sure. So, um, yeah, just thank you so much for having me here. Um, I am the founder of an organization called The Voice for the Innocent. And uh, what we are is a uh, nonprofit that works um, to support survivors of sexual violence. Um, and so we, we essentially have an anonymous storytelling platform online and I can kind of get into all that and how all that works. Um, but then we also try to connect people to help within their own communities. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, some I don't even remember who it was, but somebody I, I follow liked a request that you made on Twitter for podcast guests, and I was like, I love doing podcasts. I'll shoot a message. Yeah, because so, I I've only had um <laughs> like mostly local comedians because I do stand up comedy, so I've just had um, my fellow comedians on starting the podcast, which was great. I love them so much, but um I was starting to get to the point where I was repeating a lot of guests, and I'm like, you know, and especially because COVID times and stuff it's opened up the digital online platform for podcasting yeah. more for me. So I was like, you know, why am I only focusing on Tampa Bay when there's a whole world of people out there? So I just kind of put a casting that out and I've gotten some great people. You're one of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you for having me and uh, for responding to a random Twitter DM and, and uh, glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, listen, there, there's some weird DMs, but I've met some awesome people in DMs too. So I, I weed through them and see, okay, who doesn't seem like a killer? And I respond to the good ones. And I've met, I, I have some really cool online friends from that. So. Right. That's that's the hard thing is like those with good intentions are operating in a space with folks with. <laughs> yes, I, because the DMs are like a scary alley and it's like there's some nice people in that alley, but there's some crazy people in there, too. You just got to take the the chance. Right. And even the, even I imagine a lot of times the, the folks that seem nice right off the bat like how how long can i wait before i respond before they turn mean right (laughs) yeah yeah how long can we have like a nice civil conversation before they say something creepy and you're like come on really right (laughs) right right. but so this is something that i think is very important because um sexual assault sexual violence unwanted sexual attention of any kind is something that has happened to almost everybody and if it hasn't happened to them they definitely know a handful of people that it has so it's one of those things that people still don't feel very confident being open about but it's so common and it's it's one of those things we just got to break the stigma of mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. not the victim. It's one of those weird things where it's like the victim feels like it's their burden when they did nothing wrong. So it's it's right. a very strange thing. Right. And, well, and even the way we talk about it, you know, I, I also work locally for um, an agency called Women's Crisis Center and uh, I do communications for them. And I was uh, a, a newspaper reached out to me. Um, we, we service 13 counties. I know you're from Kentucky and, and yeah. you know, you know, Kentucky loves uh, their counties. I don't know. 
I live in Ohio. I don't know why Kentucky is like so focused on counties. Um, Tennessee is like that too. And I don't know where that comes from, but they don't, you don't say what city you're from. You're from like Cook County or whatever. It's, I don't know. I guess because it's so rural that there's not that many cities. So it's like, I I don't know. I I was told that it has to do with the fact that it's a commonwealth. Oh, that Um, might be. But I don't really, I don't really know what that means. (laughs) I know. I, um, I'm not a good Kentuckian because I don't really yeah. even know what that means either. They always told us that, but I'm like, yeah, right. It's yeah. <laughs> right. Well, there was um there was a, a violent situation that happened in um in one of the counties, and the county newspaper reached out to us and said they wanted to include some information about our agency in their reporting of that story. And you know, to to get back to to what you were saying, the 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 journalist who reached out was great and asked a lot of great questions. And then she said, um, I, I know this woman who was this really strong, powerful woman, but she was hurt by sexual violence. And how can those two coexist? Right. And it's like, they very easily coexist because violence is, violence is a statement about the person who perpetrates it, not the person who's hurt by it. Right. But so often we like to lower our voice and we like to say, Oh, they, they were a victim of sexual assault. And we, we make it, you know, even in just the way we talk about it, we make it that survivor's burden to bear, even in inadvertently, we don't mean to do it, you know, but that does make it a really hard um, topic for people who've been hurt by it to talk about, you know? Well, and it, it, when people think about like property crimes and things like that, it, they they talk about that in a totally different way where it's like your body is really the only property that you truly have, mm-hmm. if, you know, in, in that sense. So to to think about because if someone has their house broken into, you don't say, well, you should have got the better locks. You don't you know what I mean? Right, you don't break right. the person for being the victim of a home intrusion. But somehow it's like a a um, taboo thing for the person that happened to if something unwanted happened to their own body. And it's just, um, y- y- there's been a lot of things in the news and stuff the last couple of years of just, you know, violence against women and women just being in a power or in a power dynamic where they're not equal to men. And I think that it goes back. It's just in history that women have never been equal to men. So things that happen to them seem lesser. And I know that, um, you know, horrible sexual things happen to men, too. But for some reason, they see it as a women's issue. And even Mm -hmm. I think that that's a problem that a lot of men, if something does happen to them, that's a reason why they don't feel comfortable because it's like demasculating and it's like a woman's prop. Like, how could that happen Mm -hmm. to you? You're a big, strong man. And it's it's nothing to do with the person that it happened to. And until we break through that stigma, it's it's really it's a really hard thing. What? Well, yeah, I mean, and you you hit so many good points. One of my uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about, or I guess that that I find most interesting, is kind of how does masculinity inter interact with violence that is perpetrated against you know that we perceive as being perpetrated primarily against women you know yeah and i i did uh through work i did some some healthy relationships groups at a men's um rehabilitation facility and had some really great conversations about masculinity and i would you know and and i would have men talk to me and in one breath say men can't be victims it just can't happen. Like, and they weren't being facetious or mean. Their mentality, they had been coded to believe men can't. Yeah, they truly be believe victims. that. And then three minutes later would say, oh, yeah, you know, I was abused when I was a kid. They literally had been victimized while also thinking they couldn't be victims. 
And then because we know that trauma is going to trauma is going to impact your brain, whether or not you believe that it does. Right. Yeah. Whether you and, accept that a traumatic thing happened to you, it's still doing things behind the scene. Yeah. And, and I would I would have these men literally saying I can actively see how being abused um, led to my substance abuse. Quite literally, I can see why being abused has placed me in this facility today. And yet men cannot be victimized. Like, and, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know how to, how to break around that. You know, yeah. I don't know. How, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it starts, it has to start young, you know, it has to um, be, because, and the other thing too, is just like you said, it's, we think of it as a, a women's issue. And then when a man is hurt by it, if they want to seek help, if they want to be proactive in that, every single agency is named the women's center. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we it just further emasculates, you know, um, and, and I, you know, I want to, I want to help people, it, people of any gender who've been hurt by violence. But I, I think that we have to recognize the obstacles are different, you know, um, and well, so just, the way, uh, just to talk about um, one of the things that is so crazy when you look at the contrast between if a young girl has a sexual experience with someone who's much older than them, it is so tragic, you know, it's viewed as so tragic. But if a young man does it with an, it's like an, it, society thinks it's like an accomplishment, but it's yeah. still, that's still predation. But for some yeah. reason, sexual, it's like a conquest for a young man rather than a traumatic event, which it truly is. It's like. You know, if there's a woman in their 20s who's messing around with a 14, 15 year old boy, that is a sexual predator, whether they're yeah. you know, it, it's but it's not viewed like that. And even mm -hmm. the boy thinks like, oh, an older woman wants me. But if that was a complete reverse, where it was a 25 year old man and a 14 year old girl, everyone thinks that's a problem. Yeah. Well, so and, and, crazy. Yeah. You even see it in news comments, too, when when a teacher and a student, you know, and you can yeah. look at gen how gender plays into that. And yeah, just like you said, if it's a, if it's a man and a girl, everybody's up in arms, everybody want and, and right, rightly so. Yeah. But then that same energy isn't brought when it's a exactly a, a woman teacher and a young boy. And especially if if that teacher is like conventionally attractive, then I mean, it is the biggest milestone. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. wow, you got the hot teacher rather than oh, my gosh, this person who's attractive, but also a sexual predator preyed right. on this young person. Yeah. It's 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 really blows my mind because I live in Florida and there has been a big problem with teachers and students down here. And most of the time it is like a hot younger teacher who's like maybe 30, 35 and younger teachers and a middle high school student boy. And it just the the way that it's reported and the way that people talk about it and joke about it, it just blows my mind because yeah. This is an adult who has full autonomy over their body and their mind, and they are preying on someone who's still developing in every mm -hmm. way. And it's a joking matter when it's a young boy, and it's terrible when it's a young girl. And just the fact, just even framing it like that, it makes the boys feel like their issues aren't as serious or don't matter, or it is a laughing matter that they need to joke about too. And, and what that does, I, I've actually, I know men who that has happened to them as as uh, boys where they were sexually assaulted, you know, by a woman and they, if they have reservations about it as a kid, if they feel like this isn't right, I don't want to be doing this there that the, this idea that like, Oh no, this is great. It shuts that down. And then it makes them feel, well, what's wrong with me that I yeah. don't like this. Why am I not says, thinking this is great when everyone's telling me it should be great. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a mess. And, you know, even yeah, even the reporting when it's when it's a younger girl that's uh, that's sexually assaulted, it is usually reported that way. When it is a younger boy, they were in a sexual relationship with their teacher. Yes. Yeah. You know? I've seen that wording so much. And it just yeah. and I know that it's like in a way it's like it's just words, but also words have meaning. And people take that subconsciously and like even the way it's framed, you think because it was said that way. Oh, it's not as bad. And people do internalize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when did you found the, when did the organization start? We launched in 2012. um, And so about eight years ago, and um, I kind of had the idea for it even a couple years before that, Um, you know, I never, I never anticipated being in the nonprofit world. That wasn't what I wanted to do that, you know, but uh, I was actually a musician and I, um, I was traveling and playing music a lot and I was playing at a music festival and, uh, I happened to be at a festival where right before the headlining band played, a guy came out and talked about mental health and, um, he was, and actually, I think they're right. I think they're in Tampa, uh, but it was the founder of To Write Love on Her Arms, if you're familiar with them. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that is a local thing. I, I yeah. Maybe even just in Florida, but I know that a lot of people, when that first started, were repping that really hard in this area. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think it is local. Yeah. I know they're Florida. I've, I forget what, what area, but um, yeah. So, but I saw him. That was the first time I saw him. His name's also Jamie, actually. And um, he just came out and was talking about... Um, mental health, addiction, suicidal ideation, this kinds of things. So basically saying like, Hey, if you need help with that, my organization maybe can help. I loved the approach of like going to where people were. I loved the approach of I'm going to stand on stage in front of thousands of people and talk about this as openly as you would talk about a broken leg, right? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with the fact that, I mean, we don't want people to experience these things, but just because someone experiences them doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. Right. And that was his approach. It was very commonplace, and I just loved everything about it. And and it wasn't an issue that I, these weren't things I felt like I needed help with, but I thought like, God, like somebody should make an organization like that uh, for people that have been sexually abused because um, that had been my story. You know, um, I, I was abused for three years when I was a kid by my dad. And um, when I told my mom um, my parents were never married. And so when I told my mom that it, when I was going to my dad's that he was showing me pornography and doing, doing other things to me, she, uh, I thought I was going to be in trouble for telling yeah. her. Um, and, and that's a very common response to the yeah. children. They don't tell because they like, and all things, somehow the victims feel like they did something wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what I know now, looking back, I mean, she had a, a really great response and she told me it wasn't my fault. And she told me that I didn't have to go there anymore and that she loved me and, and responded in a way that made me able to move forward and know that my worth as a person wasn't impacted and uh, know that it wasn't my fault. And so I never uh, I never had problems talking about it. Yeah. Um, I talked about it through high school and. Uh, during my time in college, I'd talk about it definitely when I was playing music. And, uh, you know, I just heard so many people were telling me back, oh, I had something similar happen. I had something, nobody believed me. My my mom didn't believe me. I didn't recognize something was wrong until years later. Any, you know, any of these kinds of things. And, uh, but the the common theme was that I was one of the first people they were ever telling. And, uh, 
I just started to think like, how come there's not a spot where people can just go and know they can tell their story and know they're going to be met with compassion and belief and validation. I didn't know those words at that time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was a, a musician trying to say, well, what if we had a spot where we could just help people online? But, um, then I saw, I saw the way Jamie Torkowski from to write love had handled, uh, their, um, handled his mission. And I was like, God, that's great. Someone should do that. And even then I, it wasn't me. I wasn't thinking I should do that. You yeah. Know? You're like, somebody should but, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. Cause I'm playing guitar in these, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, life's weird. And it, and it scratched in my brain and, and, you know, eventually I was like, I guess I got to start this cause this idea is not going away. Um, but I didn't know how to build a website. I still don't, you know? Um, but I, I ended up meeting somebody who who did. So the, the guy that co-founded a voice for the innocent with me. Um, and so it is that spot where people can come, they can sign up with just an email address. Um, they can tell their story in as much or as little detail as they want. We have a team of trained volunteers who um, make up the majority of, of, of that community and they're there to just listen and respond. And if you want help in your community, we can help you find that, help you find where to start. If you don't, if you just want a place to tell your story, we can certainly do that. If you want to be connected to legal help or anything like that, I mean, we're, we want to be there to be a stepping stone for, for survivors in their journey, whatever that looks like for them. Yeah. Whatever steps they want to take, you're going to help facilitate. Yeah. I, yeah. And that's really important. And I think that it's really amazing. Like you said that they were talking about at a music festival because so many people do look to music for therapy in mm-hmm. their life. So a lot of people who are at a music festival, they're going there because it makes them feel a certain way. It helps mm-hmm. them. It, you know, they're already there like, okay, this is going to reset me. This is what I need right now. And then to hear that message of like, oh, this is touching on something else that is of impacting my life. I think that that could be a very powerful tool to, you know, get out, get the message out to people. Hey, whenever you do want help, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Because absolutely. I think that's something that a lot of people don't even think they just always feel very alone and, and not just with sexual things, but just any, any trauma that's happened in your life. For some reason, your mind always wants to trick you to think this is a you problem. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but for some reason it wants it. This is something that is in your head and you have to deal with this on your own. And that's the worst way to deal with those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's to, to navigate the systems that are there to help can be so daunting, you know, just, just a month or two ago, um, I was in a situation where um, I don't have a primary care physician. I really haven't ever as an adult. um, And that's, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to finally, I'm getting older, you know, I'm not not super young anymore. And I just wanted to have a a doctor. And um, specifically, I wanted a doctor who I was diagnosed with ADD when I was a kid and I've been working from home. And uh, I recognized a couple of years ago, like, oh, that doesn't just go away when you become an adult, you know, and Mm -hmm. the working from home, I was having such a hard time focusing. And um, I was you know, I was like, all right, I got to find a doctor to see what I can do about this. Is prescription right? Am I, do I need to eat something different? I don't know. I just wanted to talk to a doctor and I spent two or three very frustrating, like you can't, I was having so much trouble just finding a doctor, you know, they either weren't taking new patients or uh, because of COVID or I'd call and they'd say, why are you, why do you want to come in? I'd say, well, this is that. And they were like, well, they're just going to refer you out to somebody else. And I mean, there were times where 
I would get off the phone after being on the phone and on hold for a half hour and an hour at a time. Where I was just like, just screw it. I'll just figure it out. You know? Um, yeah, it's very frustrating. Yeah. And so when I, this was when I was, you know, not in a crisis situation. I was just trying to get an appointment. It wasn't mm-hmm. an emergency. Um, and when you're trying to figure out all of a sudden I got to navigate this because I've been impacted by violence and I need to find a center. And do I want to press charges? Do I want to go to the hospital and get a, an exam done? Do I want to do these things? I don't know if I want to make a police report. I don't even know if I want to interact with police. I don't, I don't know any of these things. I mean, that is such a huge thing to try and navigate when yeah. you're also trying to make sense of this trauma that you've experienced, you know? And so we want to be able to fill that role of, of just helping people. Not we're not doing these things for them because that's not empowering anyway. Mm-hmm. We want to show them, hey, actually, if you call this agency, they're going to be able to walk through your state laws with you. They're going to tell you that, you know, because one of the things a lot of people don't know is, oh, if I go to a hospital and if I, people call them rape kits, they're called safe exams, you know, sexual assault forensic exam. If I go to a hospital and I get an exam done, that means that I have to, or or that's just associated with police reports and then, you know, filing, uh, filing a court order and all this stuff. And it's all feels like a giant decision I have to make right now. In reality, you go to get that safe exam done and you in, I know in Kentucky and I don't know about other States, but I know it's usually a while. I think you have like up to a year to decide what you're doing with that. Right. So like you can get this exam done and like you could choose to do nothing with it, but it's done if you choose to pursue legal action or if you choose to make a police report. Right. Um, And I just, I think that if more people knew that or knew you know, that going to a crisis center doesn't mean interacting with the police. Going to the hospital doesn't have to mean interacting with the police. Um, Yeah, even I didn't know that because to me, when I, I mean, thank God I've never had to have that kit done on myself. mm -hmm. But in my head, if if I was ever in that situation, I would think if I got that, it would start a ball rolling that I necessarily wasn't in control of at that point. Mm -hmm. No, it and in most states, it just allows you to start rolling that ball when you want to. Yeah. And you can still roll that ball later, depending on what your state statute of limitations are. But when you have, when you decide six months, you know what, screw that. I deserve to be able to be heard in court if that's the route you want to go. Starting that process is usually a little bit easier if you have that exam. Right. Um, and so now, now then you get into like, well, is there a backlog? You know, I mean, Kentucky is calling, is still calling people from cases 13 years ago, you know, like, so, and that gets and into I think whole- when people hear things like that, it's very disheartening too, but that yeah. you, you don't have control over that kind of stuff, but right. as long as you're taking steps that feel right to you, you should still do them. It, yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if they feel right, mm-hmm. um, because at least you can say, I mean, and, and it's not, I guess that's not, I mean, that's not even a great feeling thing to say, but if you've done all you can do and you're waiting on the courts, that's still a court problem. You won't have to carry around regret necessarily. You know, if that year passes and you're like, God, I wish I had, I wish I had gotten that exam done. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, but again, still, I mean, we're talking about it now on, on a podcast for somebody to decide that in that moment, it can be hard. And so we just want to have, we want to be able to empower people to make those decisions when they need to make them. 
You know? Yeah, and these are things that people should just have in their knowledge bank and not have to try to search out this information once they're in a crisis situation. Right. Where it's exactly. like, okay, now I know this. So, you know, God forbid in a year, if something happened to me, I now have this information that I didn't have 10 minutes ago. And mm -hmm. I just think that it's very important because, you know, knowledge is power at this point. And the more that you know, you can you can't always protect yourself, but it will help guide the decisions that you make after something bad does happen to you. And, and that's really important because when you, when something happens to you like that, you do, because all of a sudden now, not only are you a victim of a horrible trauma, now you're also trying to be an advocate for yourself when you don't, you don't know how to navigate these waters. So exactly. you're playing a lot of roles at one time in already a very tense emotional situation. So it's, it's a very, it's one of those things where you have to kind of have your head on your shoulders at a time when you don't have your head on your shoulders. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I just, I think that's, you know, there's so many specific roles out there to help people in those moments that, that maybe people don't know about, you know, I mean, when thinking about when, so for instance, when thinking about even that hospital, let's say somebody has said, okay, I've heard, I don't have to make a decision right away. Um, but I'm going to go to the hospital anyway. I'm going to get this exam done. Um, again, this varies state by state, but in the state of Kentucky, it is a law that if a person shows up to a hospital having been sexually assaulted, the there has to, by law, the state agency has to send an advocate out. And that advocate is there literally just to help explain resources, help explain options that are available, help that survivor know what to expect in the exam. Right. Help them mm -hmm. know. Um, OK. And help them rem remind them that they can say no to any part of the exam. Like saying yes to the exam doesn't mean they have don't have the right to say no, to change their mind, to say, I don't want to do that part. I've told you all I want to tell you. Like they're still in the driver's seat, you know, and I mean, that, that advocate is literally in the hospital just to say, hey, I'll go get you a blanket. Do you want a blanket? Yeah. Do, you, do you need a Coke? Do you need something to drink? Like that advocate's literally there only for that survivor. And if. If I'm thinking about, do I even want to do this? This even just the, this hospital piece feels giant and scary. How how great would it be to also know? Okay, but at least there will be somebody there to help me. That's going to be only in my corner, you know. But people don't usually know that advocates are going to show up. You no, know? and just to even know that you have a choice of what's going to happen, because um, in a lot of medical situations, I feel like the medical professionals, they already have an idea in their head of what's best for you, and yep. they're going to guide you along. And sometimes you don't feel like you have a voice to say, wait, I don't know about this. I mean, there's been times in my life where doctors have tried to prescribe me things, and I'm like, wait a sec. But you, right. sometimes you don't feel like you have a voice to question right. the medical professionals when at the end of the day, it is still your body and you have a say in it. So mm -hmm. and especially when people are traumatized, sometimes they shut down and they don't want to use that voice that, you know, in another situation, they definitely would have. So I think that that's very important that someone comes in and helps them and just says, hey, whatever you want to do, I have your back on this. And mm -hmm. that's to me, that's empowering. Just to even know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that advocates. And do you there. know? I don't know if you. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, that I don't know if you there. know this. You go ahead. No, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is the one problem with the um, on the online is that sometimes there's a little bit of a lag. So we talk over each other. But I, I don't know if you know the difference state to state. But like what would be the shortest statute of limitations versus who has the longest of when you can report? Because that the shorter um, that seems like it doesn't help anybody except the perpetrator. 
Right. Um, I so I don't specifically know, um, but I want to say I might be wrong with this. I'm going to check right now. Okay. Um, I think uh, rain.org has done, well, rain.org is a really great uh, website and organization anyway. Um, just to, that kind of breaks down a lot of uh, a lot of um, statistics, okay. demographics, stuff like that. And they they look at these, you know, really enormous federal crime statistics and they break that down into digestible pieces, right? About about victims, about perpetrators, about age and and race and gender of people that are hurt. They do a really good job with that. Um, and rain, that's that's rain with two N's. It's the Rape Abuse Incest National Network. Um, okay. so and rain, that's .org? .org, yeah, okay. rain.org. I'm almost certain, and I'm trying to get into this now, laws in your, they have, so if you go to rain.org and scroll down, there is a laws in your state, uh, pay a whole page and you can literally click, you know, you can, there's an interactive map where you can click your state. You can, uh, there's a checklist where you can select up to three states or territories and select up to two topics. So that comes down to how the, I mean, how the state, defines and penalizes different sex crimes, consent laws, mandatory reporting laws for children and for elderly people. Um, I mean, HIV, um, private communications, I mean, everything. And so you yeah, can that just, website sounds like a great resource. Yeah, I'm glad you put that out there. It's really, really wonderful. Um, and, you know, you can just go and look and I mean, for instance, let's see, I can, I can just click Florida up top where you are and, you know, so then then you have uh, it starts with the definition of how the state defines rape. And then it goes into um, all all those different topics I talked about. It goes into like you can click and read through all the different all those different areas of the law. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, this isn't this, like a lot of the a lot of the interpretation or whatever, like a person's not going to be able to do that on their own. But um being able to have that info to start with, you know, um, is really, really helpful. So rain, rain.org is a great place to, to just learn. And they also operate the uh, national sexual assault hotline. So, okay. um, so if you, if you are, you can access rain.org and then also the voice for the innocent or voice for the innocent, they could put you in touch. You guys could put them in touch with someone who can help them from there. Yeah. And that, that's a little bit more organic. We don't, I don't know anybody. If that's what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can say that at rain.org, they have a live chat and they also have uh, the, there's the 24 hour hotline, uh, 800-656-HOPE. Uh, four six seven three um but yeah if if somebody is like hey i want more help understanding the laws in our state i see what rain has i don't quite know what this means we can usually help find an attorney um who will at least meet with somebody for free you know and help them understand there are a lot of attorneys also who will um it's different depending on the criminal case or the uh, civil case, mm -hmm. but if there's a civil case where essentially you're wanting to press charges on your on your perpetrator, it's not going to end in like a, with a prison sentence or something like that. It's usually going to end with some sort of money. Um, but there are attorneys who will sit, usually in either situation, and help somebody just understand what that process would be. And if it's a civil case, they might work with them on a contingency basis, meaning you don't pay them until there's a settlement. So. Um, just, I know, I mean, finances are such a, um, 
a barrier for so many people, myself included. So knowing that that's not some big undertaking where you're going to have to pay thousands of dollars up front for an attorney, usually there's ways around that. And this is a little bit of a personal question, but how long after what was happening to you did you actually tell your mother? Because I think that that's something that um, with the statute of limitations, that is one thing that blows my mind because... as a child, especially, just to even get the courage to vocalize what has happened to you, that could be years down the road, yeah. and then your window has closed. Yeah. Um, so I told my while when I told my mom, it was ongoing. Okay. Um, it okay. was the thing that was happening. Uh, basically, it was happening every other weekend when I was over there. Every every weekend that I was there, and the way I told my mom was was essentially I I just uh, I just basically told her I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to go there this weekend, and. Um, told her why. Um, and so it was all very recent when, when, and we did yeah. go through a court case and she did contact the police and, um, we had a, a detective and all that assigned to our case. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't give my dad credit for much, but I will say he didn't deny anything. He admitted it and worked with the detectives and everything. And, um, didn't try to didn't try to flee but i mean that's not that's not the case for a lot of people you know yeah and and uh, uh, you were lucky in the sense that your mom believed you and wanted because mm-hmm. a lot of the times i think that from stories that i've heard and uh it's just when it's a family member it's so mm-hmm. hard to because like there's this thing and i don't know but i know in the black community a lot there's like this ongoing kind of running joke where the young girls aren't supposed to wear like short shorts when uncle mm-hmm. whoever is over and it's like rather than saying uncle whoever you're not out of the family cookouts anymore we're going to tell the kids what they can and can't wear because we know he has a problem and it's like people are so they don't want to believe they they know that something's wrong but if they say it out loud then you have to take action i feel like so it's it's this really family bonds are always a strange thing in general especially when something goes awry and that when one person does something against another member of the family I think that the only thing you can do is what's right, not who you have like a loyalty to, but it's right and wrong is pretty black and white to me. And I think it should be for most people, but it's not. Right. Well, and I think here's what I will say, you know, I, I don't know what, um, what would have changed had my parents been married? My, yeah. cause they were never married from the whole time I was alive. You know, they separated yeah, before the, yeah. I was born. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was because I, because I, I am a person who is always in the corner of the survivor, but I also recognize uh, maybe not the obstacles of, of a, with an uncle, but with another parent in the house, like just how scary that would be for a mom, yeah. even, even a mom or a mom, I say a mom, I don't know why a mom or a dad who wants to make the right choice. Um, I'm not making excuses, but I just recognize that there are barriers there that my mom didn't have. She was able to say, great, you're not going there anymore. We're cutting that tie. And because yeah, it wasn't know. a personal relationship that she even right. had to think about severing because it wasn't there already. It wasn't there. It was, yeah. it was not in the house. The, uh, with that part of my story, it was very easy to say, great, you just won't go there. And and that part's done. There's no moving. There's no kicking anyone yeah. out of the house. There's no restraining order. There's no any of that. There's no figuring out who's going to pay these bills now. Um, there's no figuring out friend groups, friend circles, church groups. There's none of that. It's just, you're not going there. Yeah. That part's done. Now let's figure out how to get you healed, get you into counseling and this and that. So I, I just, it's just, I, I know that there are also people who, um, who wrestle with how a parent might have responded when their abuser was a sibling. 
Um, and that's hard too. You know, I just, I think about, again, you have to support the survivor. You have to, you know, yeah. but what does that support looks like, look like when it's another child? I don't, I don't know that I have the answer for that, you know, cause there's still that person's parent. Um, right. And I, all that to say, it's just, it's just immensely challenging. You know? It is. There's so many challenges that come up with that. And I mean, it, it's bad enough when that happens at all, but especially when it's within a family, because it can get so, so messy because your lives are so intertangled and intertwined. And especially when it's someone in the home or a very close family member that I just, I, I really feel for those situations. I feel for every situation, but I just, there's so much more to untangle when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know what the right answer is. And I, I hope that I'm never in that situation, but there are people in that situation and they really have to think they have to make decisions like that. And it's just, I, I know that so many people stay in really bad situations because of financial situations or whatever. You know, there's women who are getting physically abused, but they don't leave because they can't afford it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it's like, I can only imagine that that is definitely happening, happening in situations where someone's saying, this person is doing this horrible thing to me. They're coming to their parent and the mom or the dad is like, we can't leave. I don't know what right. we would do. So I can't. And the fact of having that internal struggle I can see how that can lead to so many substance abuse issues, depression, like all it's just a trickle down effect of if you don't, if you don't deal with the thing that caused the anguish, it's just going to snowball. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if I like to think of, uh, I like to relate like mental health and trauma to physical health of, cause we're taught about physical health, right? Like yeah. if we, if and there's we, such an emphasis on it. Yeah. Yeah. If we, you know, have an impacted tooth right and this impacted tooth is causing us to have a bunch of headaches because that can happen right yeah. um if we're just taking headache medicine we're covering mm -hmm. symptoms that's just it you know we're gonna have to see a dentist get that tooth pulled we got to get to the root of the problem um and that's just like just like what we're saying here like great we can we can cover up some feelings that we have right now with substances um, but if we're not dealing with that trauma, that, that, that root problem, we're just, mm -hmm. we're, we're fixing symptoms. We're not fixing the problem. Yeah, and so many people do that about, about a lot of things and mm -hmm. that all of those, anything trauma related, I feel like kind of goes hand in hand where as a society, and I don't know how it is in other places in the world, but I know in America, it's, it's one of those things where there's a stigma attached to it. And it's really hard to get the help that you need for your specific issue. And people don't feel comfortable coming out about those things. So in the more that you feel alone, the worse those kind of problems get. And so it's like a never ending loop until we break that. And what, what do you, in a per perfect world, what do you see is like, what would help, what, what could we do as a society to change the stigma for victims of these kinds of things? Uh, well, first, I mean, first and foremost, my big thing is, is the way we talk about it. You know, we talk about it. Um, and I say, I say we as a society, and I'll put myself in there too. I think some individuals are better about it than others, but I, I mean, we are very, very reactionary. You mm -hmm. know, um, we are, we want to question anyone making a claim. That's as a, as a country, as a society, that's our knee jerk is to, is to question somebody else making a claim. We see it, we see it in political circles. We see it with hashtags. We see it all. I mean, it's to your, to your point, 
you know, you talked about, you know, how, how, how some families have, um, this uncle that's got a problem. And so we tell the kids don't wear this or don't wear that. And I think about situations like that in comparison to right now, we have like so many people using the save the children hashtag. Right. And it's very tied to political circles and conspiracy theories. And, and then you get all these like dudes who want to be hard asses and they're going to come out and they're going to say, I'll punch a pedophile in the mouth. Like, dude, you won't even call out your friend. You know what I mean? No, you won't. You won't do anything. You just, you just want to have this big, bad attitude about uh sexual offenders or about pedophiles or whatever like you're not doing anything you're, you're making this topic you're just adding to the complexity of this topic you're not helping you're not doing anything like cool you got 20 likes on a hashtag that you posted on facebook but like are you ready to do something about the problem are you ready to change you know are you ready to have hard discussions with people in your life and look at yourself as somebody who possibly perpetuates this stuff like um, I don't know, like we want to, we want to attack movies like cuties, but we're not going to attack, you know, we're not going to say anything about actual pageants. You know, we're not going to say anything about the actual yeah. sexual exploitation of children. Cause that's too hard. I'll just hashtag. And it's, been, it's so many things that have been going on for so long. We just accept it. Like, oh, it's, we've always had beauty pageants. Yeah. A two-year-old in full makeup and fake lashes is normal. This is what they do. But how making a child look like an adult in that sense it's 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 sexualization no matter yeah. how, you can't say that it's not because women do themselves up for that reason to, yeah. to look prettier to feel hot all that kind of stuff so if you're doing that to a child you're saying this child is hot like yeah and if you don't see the correlation to that i don't and something that's really upsetting um because I, I have seen that show toddlers and tears or whatever that used to be mm-hmm. on tlc and like a common theme in that whole show it would be like a parent and i think that a lot of parents do this with sports too it's like they didn't re- reach their potential so they're putting it on their kids of like mm. oh my glory days are over but my kid can still be hot it's like yeah. the dad who broke his leg in high school and never got to go to college for his football and he makes his kid practice like eight hours a day you know it yeah. people put really weird pressures on their kids of their fi- what they feel like is their failures and i saw that a lot on that show it would be moms who were like still you know they'd be like 48 and still trying to act like they were 20 and it wasn't passing but they're like but I do have Ashlyn over here who just turned six. Right. And it's like, they're pimping out their kids. It's so bizarre. It is. It so is. Bizarre. It's, and it's not new, you know, No, it's not. Like, new. I, it's... I don't know. I don't know if you remember this. I mean, I, I I'm in my mid thirties. So I remember, yeah, this. I remember when, when Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen turned 18, there were literal online countdowns. countdowns. Yes. Countdowns you know? of when they were legal, but it's yeah. like, when when girls turn 18, it's not like some spell breaks and all of a sudden right. they're a totally different person than they were 24 hours ago. They were a child 24 hours ago. It's like growing up is a it's a evolution. It doesn't just all of a sudden something snaps and right. now I'm an adult and I know everything that's going, you know, I'm 33 and I still don't know what's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, and we we just like to, you know, for instance, I remember, you know, when when uh when Bill Cosby was first, well, he was first accused years and years ago, but yeah, when but he when got brought to light, or we can say Brett Kavanaugh, or we can say any of the, the big cases that caused a lot of divide among people, you know, just because you didn't know the women that were accusing Bill Cosby, or just because you are a conservative and Dr. Blasey Ford was, uh, had a D behind her name, or, or because Kavanaugh has an R, like, 
just because of those things, you've, people have formed their opinions that way. And like, I just, you know, I, I am a person who is, I'm a left-leaning person and like, Guess what? I think Joe Biden is gross too. Like, yeah, Bill like, Clinton has done terrible. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I think that it's very important to if you have more standards and morals, they should apply to all people, and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what category in your life they fit in, whether they're someone you idolize, someone you respect, a family member, a friend. If you have morals and standards, it's a blanket statement to me. Yeah. I hold everyone to the same standards. And if I don't like this from this guy, I don't like it from that guy either, no matter right. what my relation to them is. Right. Yeah. And at least, I mean, I think that's the way I at least try to be. And I, the fact that sexual violence has been, has, has turned into a weapon, right? Like we weaponize with, with, with these things. And like, you know, I, in in political circles, you can't be critical of one politician and say, "Hey, I don't want I don't want a president who uh, tells women where the what part of the bodies they're going to grab them by or whatever." And they say, "So so you do, do want one that sniffs children? No. How about yeah. neither? How about they're both gross? Like, I mean, we're in a really awful situation right now politically, um, but I I think that." Uh, yeah, I mean, I, why can't we say, yeah, that's gross too? Why can't I have somebody who, yeah, if, if Trump gets, if they're if they're criticizing Biden and then Trump gets brought up, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's real gross too. Like, why, I don't know why we we've turned. It, it doesn't into have to be one or the other. It can all be true. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's we've we've gotten to a point where people want to weaponize. Um, and I just think that's real gross. Like Al Franken uh, a couple years ago had accusations against him and guess what? He stepped down and he should have stepped down and, and Democrats uh, and, and I don't necessarily even claim to be a Democrat, but like Democrats uh, were like, well, he shouldn't because yes, he should. He absolutely should. Yeah. We have to, we have to have an even playing field and this is a gross thing. And there are other things that are gross as well. And it's not okay. No matter what letter is after somebody's name and the, the people that are, are hurt by this are the survivors who are, you know what I mean? Who are the people that have been already mm-hmm. hurt by, they've been hurt by the thing and now they're being re-traumatized by discourse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's enough for that horrible thing to happen to you. And then to say, okay, yes, this was my horrible personal trauma and I'm going to come public with it. That mm-hmm. is such a huge step that so many survivors can't even take in the first place. And then to do that. And then people be like, well, she, obviously she's lying. It's like, right. you're, you're re-traumatizing this person and you weren't there. How do you know that's not what happened? And the, what drives me crazy, something that I've noticed that it's gotten really political over the last couple of years is, um, and it's mostly like, and I don't know why, but it's like a conservative talking point of like, our boys are being accused of these things that they would never do. Right. And these same people would say, well, why is your daughter at a party getting wasted and acting like a slut, all this stuff? But also you could turn it around and say, why is your son at a party getting wasted where he has no control over himself either? And thinks that, you know, just because he's blacked right. out doesn't mean he didn't do what he did. Right. If you're yeah. going to say you shouldn't put yourself in these situations, say it to boys too. Don't yep. put yourself in situations where you can get accused of things that, you know, it, yeah. it it's yeah. just crazy because we we're so used to looking at it 
in male and female. What's okay for men and women is so different in our society. And it's always been that way. And it's just so crazy. It's, it's totally normal for guys to go out and get completely wasted and, oh, it, you know, chuck it up to boys being boys. But if a girl goes out and has too much to drink and something bad happens to her, it's like, well, she should have known better. Why was she right. out at that hour? Why wasn't she with her friends? Why wasn't she? It's always, why wasn't she not? Why were they? Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that that's, that even goes beyond just the talking points, right? Because for so long, women were taught, cover your drinks, go to the bathroom with your friends, yeah. learn self-defense, learn, you know, all these things. And what that does is when a person is still in, has done all those steps, right. Mm -hmm. But has still, still ends up getting sexually assaulted or being sexually assaulted. Then it, it's, are they thinking, I didn't do these things good enough to prevent this from happening or from, you know, I, I that one time I didn't, well, and the, the covering your drink, the amount of sexual assaults that are, um, that are done due to, due to a drink being drugged are incredibly low, you know, but that's a, one of our favorite talking points, yeah. but like, you know, oh, I, because I, I feel like that's one thing that people think that they have the most control over. So it's like, you just yeah. keep saying it because it's like, yeah, people like to feel like they're in control of uncontrollable situations. I think. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, but we, we love to, uh, or I, I was getting off traffic. The, the, the majority over 80% of sexual assaults are committed by somebody that the, 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 the victim knows. Yeah. Right. So like, it's less about cover your drinks, watch out for strangers you know, it, a lot of times it's somebody who's building a relationship with that person. Yeah, it's a manipulation. Yeah, it absolutely is. And when that's the case, the, but we've put all these risk reduction ideas onto people. Oh, make sure you do this. This is this is how to prevent yourself from being sexually assaulted. Um, and what the message of that is, if you carry that out, is and if you get sexually assaulted, it's your fault because you didn't do enough of these yeah. things. Um, and that's just not the case. You know, that's not how trauma works. That's not how any of it works. Uh, and, and it, yeah, it kills me. Um, because when, when we talk about these things this way, when I think about Brett Kavanaugh and those hearings, the thing I kept seeing was why did she wait so long to come forward? Why did she wait so long? Well, the, the first thing I say is, do you actually want the answer or are you just trying to silence her? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, I mean, and it's the same thing. I, it, I try to, in the spaces I occupy as a man, as a white person, I try to have the conversations that I feel comfortable having and speaking on, or it's the same thing when people talk about racism. It's like, do you want actual answers or do you want, do you just want to shut down the voices of people? Yeah. What's like, going to make you feel that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> which yeah. do you want? Do you want to know why, why about false accusations? Do you want to know why people wait so long to come forward? Or are you trying to shut down a survivor uh, who's telling their story? Um, because we can have those talks, right? And first off, with Dr. Blasey Ford, she didn't wait that long to come forward. She had been talking about it with her doctor for years, right? Yeah. Um, she waited till now because he hadn't been nominated to the Supreme Court until then. Right. Um, but the, what you're doing, like when, when you know, Bob from small town Ohio is going on Facebook and putting out all these theories about why she waited so long and she must be lying and calling her this and that you're not going to do a single thing, Bob, to that, <laughs> to that case, right? You're not, you're not having an impact yeah. at all. What you're doing is telling the people in your own life. And I promise they're there. The people in your life, 
who have waited 30 years to talk about something that happened to them, you are saying that their story is not valid and that you're not a person they can talk to about it. That's right. all you're doing. You're yeah. hurting the people in your life. You're not doing anything to, to defend Kavanaugh's honor or anything like that. You're hurting people in your own life. And I think that's what people miss out on. They don't see that, you know? Well, I think that impacts a lot of social issues of, they, they say these things about people who aren't in front of their face as it's like an abstract issue, but there are people who are in your inner circle who yeah. might have gone through these things. And when you say that stuff, you're just thinking, Oh, wow. They don't want to, they're either not hearing what I'm already saying, or they don't care to hear what I would possibly feel comfortable opening up to them about in the future. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it just alienates yourself and makes you seem like someone who has no compassion for other people really mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. I, I am a person who's comfortable doing this with my own experience, but I love it when people, uh, when people talk about, oh, they don't have evidence that this happened. They must be lying because they don't have evidence. Yeah. And I'll say, I don't have any evidence. Am I lying? Am I lying also? Because you're not, you're not, you're not going to prevent or make, you're not going to prevent Dr. Blasey Ford or show, show how dumb she is. You're just going to alienate people in your own life. And hey, I'm in your life and I don't have evidence. Do you not believe right. me either? Oh, you don't believe her because she's a woman. Oh, you don't believe her because she's a liberal. Oh, I got it. Okay, so it's not actually about this issue. Stop weaponizing it. You know, like, drives me crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, it will, and like to circle back with the like property analogy, it's like you you don't think if someone's casing your neighborhood, you're not thinking, well, you should have seen them driving up and down the street. Whereas where someone's grooming a victim and it's like, well, how come you didn't realize that they were doing all these little steps and then it right. culminated into one big step? That's not on the person that it happened to. Yeah, it, it's it's just crazy the way people think about it. And, you know, I do stand up comedy and there in the news in the last couple of years, there's been so much stuff about creepy guys and all this weird stuff. And it is a really weird thing because it's it happens at night. It usually happens at places where alcohol is being served. And so it's like all the key ingredients for bad behavior to be happening. Mm -hmm. And it sucks because it's not a place where a lot of women feel comfortable and what you want is for more women to come out. But every time they do, they just either have a bad experience or they hear bad things and they don't want to put themselves in that situation, which I completely understand, but it really sucks because we lose out on a lot of talented people because they don't want to deal with that. And it is like the boys club mm -hmm. where if we all know that one person is doing something bad and we're just, oh yeah they that's how they are why is that a thing why are you not saying okay wait a minute as a community i'm not a person like that why would i want to be associated with a person like that but it's so much harder to take a stand for things than it is to just say yeah i know i just you know i make sure my girlfriend's not alone with him and things like that like if you're right. saying things like that and you don't take it to the next step of why is this person even around me at all it that kind of and I know that it is hard to take that step because it's it's bold and when everyone else sweeps an issue under the rug and you're the one that says wait a minute it's like I feel like a lot of times people gaslight you and make you feel like you're overreacting or right. like it's not your place to say it or but especially when it's a community atmosphere this is all of our space not just theirs not just mine and mm -hmm. if one person is doing something that's making even a few people feel like it's not a safe place for them. It's not on the people. It's not fair that those people can't come around anymore. It's like, why is this one person still here? Yeah. 
But yeah, so many I, people don't want to do that. I, I can I would imagine that it feels very much like, you know, because because I growing up in the in the and playing music, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. music and comedy, um, I think those are like the two performing arts that have a yeah. lot in common. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, the I was playing, you know, punk and metal music, you know, just 90% white dudes, very yeah. few people of color, very few women, you know. And so I can imagine that the people who are not white or are not dudes who are in that area probably feel a bit more like I need to just conform to the to this rather than the individuals who make up that community making sure it's welcoming for all people you know i i think that in the music community there i mean i haven't been an active part in a while i'm I'm still i still do like Mm -hmm. vans warped tour and stuff but when that was going on but that was through a voice for the innocent we'd go out there i think there are more and more people in the music spaces who are trying to make sure it's more welcoming for all people (laughs) Uh, but it's still a very heteronormative space. It's still a very white space. It's still very much occupied by a lot of guys. And, and it's, I mean, I know a lot of women who are in bands and just the fact that they are a woman in a band is somehow a political statement for a lot of people. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. gosh, like how, are, how do we. Yeah. Do yeah. We... It's like, oh, you guys are so progressive. You have a woman in this band and it's like. Right. Women have been around just as long as men have. It's just, like it's it blows my and um, when I was growing up, like especially in middle and high school, um, me and my friends we went to a lot of shows. We went to the Warp Tour every summer. We in mm-hmm. St. Pete, there's a lot of venues that would have like independent musicians come through and stuff. And you know, I mean, I remember in like eighth grade, we were listening to Dead Kennedys, and they were so political and saying all that like yeah. fuck fascism and all this stuff. So it's like there there are punk movements like that have stuff like that but then also i hear about like all the pop punk bands and how they were sleeping with like underage girls Jesus. at their shows and, all, yeah. and i'm just like it, there's bad people in all communities but it's just we have to get more comfortable with saying hey this is not okay and it, it, it's really hard to be the one person that says i know everyone else knows about this and they just talk about it behind closed doors but i'm gonna say it out loud mm-hmm. but more people do that the more people will do that yeah. you just have to open the door and people will come through it i feel like there i i spent uh the last five years teaching a um violence prevention program in high schools it's called green dot and um i jumped to so the communications role that i'm in at work i just moved into it in january um and so before that i was going into high schools i was talking about bystander intervention i was talking about violence prevention and one of the key things that I love about this program, and I have criticisms of it as well, but I, I love the this idea that it is recognizing behaviors, not people, right? Yeah. Because for so long, and even still now, there's there's this idea that we want to say, oh, he's he's just uh he he's actually a good guy. You just gotta get to know him, you know. He's he's just handsy, you know. Yeah. Or, or he's a good guy. Yeah, like don't. I wouldn't necessarily send my sister to drink with him, but he's fun to party with. Right. Right. And like, he can be a fun guy and he can, even if you know that that person means well, the discomfort or the harassment that he's doing is, is real. And so as that person who thinks they're, they're a well-meaning guy, maybe it's on you to say, Hey, I just need you to know that that's kind of creepy. You know what I mean? Like, the thing that I, I, I like it because we don't want to say, oh, my friend is a shitty person. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we all know that our friends can do shitty things. So if we're correcting that that behavior and not 
saying, Hey, I think you're the worst person in the world for this. Um, then I think it can go a long way. And it's not to say that that behavior is in any way acceptable. Right. It's saying, because what, the way we like to do it is that person's a rapist. That person is this, that person is this, that person is all these different things. Well, what, what does that say about my friend who um, has done things that are really shitty? No, no, no. You just don't know him, right? He's not that terrible monster that you're saying. I, I was, um, I was reading and every single white person has been, well, at least should have been listening and reading more, but I was, um, I read, um, how to be an anti-racist. Oh um, yeah, I did too. Yeah. And I, uh, one of the things that I've really been wrestling with and like trying to make sense of is, um, Kendi talks about this using of the word racist as a pejorative. Right. And, and when I say, Hey, you know, that is racist we have allowed that to make this entire person the worst person in the world. And so then instead of saying, Oh God, I don't, I don't intend on being racist. Let me examine that. Now, just that word using racist as a pejorative makes that person automatically go on the defensive and no, I'm not. And how dare you accuse me of that? And you don't know my intentions and blah, blah, blah. Right. Where instead. And that's the quickest way to get someone not on your side. Is, exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think that if we take it, cause I've really been, cause, cause how quick, like I want to do it all the time. Like, Oh my God, that person's a stupid fucking racist. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I, I know. <laughs> I throw it as an insult, but I know that I have been racist in my life. And if somebody had called me on it, I'd be like, no, you don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, how can we get better if we can't accept criticism? Right. And I think that extends into all areas. If we, how, if I say to somebody, hey, I know you don't mean it, but when you make that joke, those jokes like that to women, I really think it might make them uncomfortable. You know? Yeah, and, and that's, and I think that it means more coming from your peers than it yeah. does. And obviously, because it's like, okay, well, I care about what Joe thinks about me. And if he's saying, Hey, I don't like that thing that you're doing. And I see that other people don't like it. And like, I'm your friend. So I'm saying this to you. That means so much more than the stranger. He's saying it to being like, you know, screw you. You're a jerk and walking away. Yeah. That, yeah. Le that leaves no impression on Joe whatsoever. Right. <laughs> I triggered her. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, she's a snowflake. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> I just, I wish that at, as a society, I, I wish that we were able to a accept criticism a little better and yeah. offer criticism a little better, you know? Um, I think that's something that literally everyone could work on doing better yeah. on both of those <laughs> yeah. things. Because everyone loves to be the one criticizing and saying, oh, you're doing this, this, and this wrong. But if one person says it back to you, you're like, well, wait, no, wait right. a sec. Yeah. You right. don't want to hear it. So it's, it's a difficult thing, but it's a very important thing, yeah. you know, to grow as a person. And yeah. I, it kind of circles back to kind of the last thing that I want to talk about was how do you think, you know, we've talked about the people that it affects when these things happen, but the person who perpetrates these horrible things, what's the road back for them into society? Is there one? And obviously I, I don't know if you agree, but I think that there's definitely a spectrum, you know, it's everything from, comments to actual physical contact oh, yeah. yep. so it's I, I don't think that we can treat all bad acts as the same thing because they're not they, they are still bad but they're not the same thing so I just I kind of wanted to know your take on that kind of thing uh, so I am um, I am a believer and a proponent for restorative justice so mm -hmm. I, I I say right out of the gate I'm not I'm not a, a big fan of the death penalty. Um, and I say that only to say some people would say 
kill all rapists, kill all pedophiles. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not for state sanctioned murder. So, um, so that said, um, after that, I don't, I don't know. Um, I will say that I was, I went to the, um, the, uh, sexual assault conference in Philadelphia two years ago. Uh, It was canceled this year, obviously for COVID, but the previous summer I was out there and, and I attended a workshop about, um, about like sex offender registries and um, things like that. And I think I just wanted to learn more. Um, And this was a guy who was there saying, look, they don't work. Sex offender registries don't work, you know? Um, And this idea that, you know, it's, it was, it was a big joke for a while, but this idea of um, the person who has to go door to door and say, Hey, I'm a sex offender or whatever. Um, And now, you now we, we see them all on, uh, you know, you can get family all all over. You can see it. You can always see it. Um, But like, I, I don't, I don't have the, the, the math or the research or the science behind behind it but i do know that in that moment when i was in there listening to this and he wasn't he obviously wasn't defending sexual violence he was saying this was a terrible thing yeah um but the way we are responding by putting people on these lists isn't that isn't working that isn't doing anything for anybody it just makes us think that we feel better it makes us you know whatever and and you know what there are people that are going to disagree and say that no I am better and we have to put those people on the list and fine. I, I am not equipped to have those discussions, frankly, because yeah. that's not my area. Right. But what I have to know is that there, there are my, my knowledge comes around supporting people who have been hurt by, by violence um, and trying to help them on their journey and get them the, get them to experts. And I just have to have faith that while that's not my wheelhouse, it is somebody's wheelhouse, right? That, that person who was there giving that workshop, he knew about it. There's a body of research and data that backs it up. Um, I know that at work, even we're very careful. Like we cannot, we cannot uh, have survivors and perpetrators like in the same groups that that, Mm. I know that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. And because my work is with survivors, um, I don't, I don't know what I think the, the proper way. Yeah, I, just don't I, need- I, I wrestle with that too. And that's kind of why I wanted someone else's opinion, because I, there's times where I'm thinking, okay, what's the point of wanting someone to change when, even if they do, we're not never going to forgive right. them. But also if I knew that someone had done something like that, like I would, you know, if say I have two daughters, let's say I found out that one of their best friend's dad was on the list. My kids are not spending the night at their house, like things right. like that. So I see both sides mm-hmm. of it. Um, but at the same time as humans, if we, if we aren't going to give people any kind of second chance, what's the point of wanting them to change, I guess, besides the criminal justice element where they don't want to spend their life in jail. But as a human, you want to think that people want to do better for themselves and the community, which is not always true, but some people do want to, it's, it's, it's it's a sticky situation. I don't know what the (laughs) right answer for that is at all. It's, and even if we say, okay, we look at. I'm okay with, with perpetrators going to prison. That happens so rarely, right. That like, that it just, it's not a thing that, that we really even see. And then it also gets into like, I, I don't, I do recognize that, you know, police are carrying around way too many responsibilities. Right. And so 
but but I know also that if I want if I'm a survivor and I want justice against the person that did this to me, it starts at least in the system we have now, it starts with the police, you right. know? So how do you, how do we even have justice without police? Um, but I don't necessarily want to talk to a police officer about something that happened to me when their job is to question hard somebody who they think is possibly lying to them. Right. Most of the yeah. Time their job is law suspect. enforcement, not counselor. <laughs> right. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I am, I am trying to learn a lot, I think, right now, because, yeah. I mean, you know, I just think about eight years ago, we put out literature as a Voice of the Innocent put out literature. And it was all like, one of the things that was in it is, what do I do if I've been sexually assaulted? And like step three or four was call the police. Call the police. Why wouldn't? Because that's, that's, yeah. that's what you say. Call the police. They'll help, you know, uh, except they don't a lot of the times, you know. Yeah. Um and, you know, there are a lot of people who would probably say, well, look at what do you expect them to do with no evidence? And don't you believe in due process? And yeah, I do. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, again, I just don't know. Um, I know, like I said, there are people who are far smarter than I am, who that is what they're working on. And that is. And so I just try to continue to read and learn. And I mean, even if I'm not doing that, even if I'm just on Instagram and I see somebody, you know, posting in their story something that pushes up against where my boundaries of belief are and makes me think makes me think a little bit okay maybe that's an account i need to be following or yeah you know even just in those little spaces and instances because i'll be honest you know when i can recognize police violence as a person but when when defund the police started as a hashtag i was like Okay, but that feels like too far. And I had to push up against that because I had to learn more about what does that mean? And okay, yeah, I don't necessarily think a police officer is the best person to show up for a, a suicide attempt, right? Yeah. Um, and so let's find somebody who is more trained in trauma and de-escalation and things like that. Like that feels that feels like it makes sense. I don't I wouldn't say I have a full grasp of it, and I certainly don't know how that would extend to people that have perpetuated sexual violence. Um well, and it, the people who are the offenders, it's not to negate the horrible impact that they've had on someone else's life, but obviously there's something going on within them that made them do mm -hmm. that in the first place. And I'm, you know, having something wrong mentally does not excuse your actions, right. but if, if we're not even thinking about it in that term, how are we, because you, the, in a perfect world, you wouldn't be treating it after it happened. It wouldn't be happening in the first place. Right. Right. So it's like it, it, until we're thinking about like what is happening in the minds of these people where even if they know it's not OK or they do think it's OK, but they can't control their urges. You, like what is going on in those people's minds in the first place? But we don't want to talk about that. We just want to punish them after it happens, mm -hmm. which I mean, yeah. you know, in some cases, yes, they deserve it. But but that's not stopping the cycle either, because right behind him or her, there's going to be another one doing it because they have the exact same issue yeah. that the person who's in jail has or the person who had like, lost their business. So, you know, whatever the consequence for them was, there's someone right behind them who's going to do it again because we haven't, like you said, treating the symptoms and not the root on both sides. And, and a lot of times we don't even want to punish after it happens. We just want to put up a hashtag saying what we would do yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, if right. I ever encountered that person. I know. know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we all know somebody in our life who the, either they are an offender or they've been assaulted in some way. So it's this isn't like a if you know this person, you must be terrible too. Se 
anything around sex is just a very strange situation anyway, just because of the way it's always, it's kind of been repressed and then it's not. And then it, 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 people look at sex a certain way, especially in religious contexts and things like that and how conservative you are or not. It, there's always like an underlying feeling about sex, no matter which side you're on about it. And so it's one of those things that people don't really want to talk about, but it affects people every single day. So yeah. I, I, I don't know what the answers are, but just having the conversations I think is important yeah. and just seeing what other people think and hearing different ideas. I, I think that's the only way we're going to get to some kind of solution is by brainstorming and talking about it instead of acting like it doesn't happen until it does. And then now what's our reaction going to be? Right. Yeah. That that's just it. I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I do believe in talking. I believe yeah. in lear learning and I believe in supporting people when they've been hurt. Like I think that that's should be pretty basic and that's whether yeah. they've been, whatever they've been hurt by, you know, and especially molestation. It's it, that is one of those crazy things where if it happens to you, you're likely to not likely, but I mean, a lot of people who do that, it's happened to them in the past. And it's yeah. so crazy because the worst thing that's ever happened to you, you would never wish on anybody, but then all of a sudden now you are perpetrating that same horrible thing. So until we think about those kind of things, like obviously people are not getting what they need if they are willing to do the worst thing that ever happened to them to someone else. Yeah. Because, and, and, you know, most people, your logical brain would think that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I would never wish that on my worst enemy. And then somehow 20 years later, you're the one doing it. So mm -hmm. mental health, it, you know, it's just under the whole umbrella of we're not doing enough for mental health in general in this country and always, yeah. but I, I, we're coming up on our, we've reached our hour, but I, this conversation, <laughs> I, I'm so thankful that you came on because People need to know that these resources are out there, what their yeah. options are. And even if it's not for them, for, you know, they could pass this information on to someone in their life that it affects. It's good stuff to know and to know exists. And you guys are doing really great work out there and everyone Thank appreciates you. it. <laughs> Thank you. I think that we, we intentionally made our mission statement a community of support for those impacted by sexual violence because we know we want to be able to support the mom who wants to support their daughter or the, the partner who wants to support their partner who's been impacted. So, you know, if, if you're listening and you just want to learn more or you just want to, whether you have a story or not, you just want, I mean, come, come check out our site. You know, you can, we can, you could even submit a story of you know, that says somebody in my life's been hurt. I don't quite know how to support them. I'm trying to figure it right. out. Like, that's fair. We're there for that. You know? So yeah. Sympathy and empathy are very different things. And if you, if you haven't been through something, but someone close to you is hurting and you don't quite know what the right way to, you know, sometimes people come on to aggressive trying to help. And sometimes mm -hmm. people are like, you know, I'm going to give them their space when they need more help. It's, it's a tricky thing to navigate. And just knowing that there is that support out there because people, People just need support in all things, and we're very um, we're very focused on our own problems and not the problems of the community. And I think that when we start worrying about what everyone is going through, we're all going to do better. I agree. Thank yeah, you so much, Dana. And do you want to give out your website again? Yeah. So uh, you can go to avoiceforetheinnocent.org or just simply avfti.org. You'll get to the same spot. Uh, you can share your story you, if you have one and you'd like to. You can just browse our resources. Um, if I, We also uh, put up lots of different articles about different subjects uh, surrounding sexual violence. Um, I have my own podcast called More to the Story that A Voice for the Innocent kind of hosts. And that's on all platforms? 
It is. Yep. Okay. Uh, more to the story. We talk about we our our most recent episode was on repressed memories. So we try to, again, cover areas around sexual violence, uh, although we do have some some episodes where people just share their story um, and on all the social media platforms as well. So awesome. yeah, well, thank- thanks again for your time. And honestly, thank you so much for what you guys do, because I I'm sure it's countless how many people you've helped with that service. So thank, thank you. you for what you do. And I'm Amanda. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you. No problem. Thank you.